Vive de la Nescast Fentro Political, Instituto Tiesemeno, ne parolas pri Esperantitoi! Semeno le episodio de Femto Political le spectaclo che ci semeni parolas pri mal semen fandom cal iru in profonda de talo sur lie fenoi. Con mi tiu semeno, estas mie play bonai e micoi che congastigantoi g saluton kezi saluton. So, for those of you who do not understand any of that, I wish this had subtitles, it does not. Uh, basically, <laughs> welcome to this week's episode of Fanthropological, the show where each week we talk about a different fandom and we go into deep details on its fans. With me this week are my best friends and co-host, G and Z. I'm not repeating that part. Sorry, guys. Hello. Hi. So, as you may have noticed, this week we are not speaking English, or I mean, we will be speaking <laughs> English. Just got the intro off to um, a different start because this week... In a very different style of topic, in our large, wide world of fandoms, we are talking about Esperantists. Yeah. I think that's the right term. Hmm. Esperantonians. <laughs> no, no I mean... take Toronto's... Uh... <laughs> but yes. Uh, Men- mentioned in the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 The hopeful... I mean, that's what Esperanto uh, translates out to, hmm. roughly. Esperanto in Esperanto is like, is like one who hopes... Yeah. Like a hopeful one. Yeah. Yeah. Esperantists must therefore be like the hopefuls. Yeah. So the bit of background that I have on Esperanto, which is hopefully a very concise way of expressing the language, its culture, its background, and we'll obviously get into more of it as we go through this podcast. Esperanto is a constructed language originally titled Internacio Linguo, or International Language. With as many as 2 million speakers worldwide, it is the most widely spoken constructed language in the world. It being a constructed or invented language, uh, Esperanto was created by Polish-Jewish ophthalmologist L.L. Zamenhof in the late 19th century with three goals. Number one, to render the study of language so easy as to make its acquisition mere play to the learner. Number two, to enable the learner to make direct use of his knowledge with persons of any nationality, whether the language be universally accepted or not. In other words, the language is to be directly a means of international communication. And third goal being to find some means of overcoming the natural indifference of mankind and disposing them in the quickest manner possible and en masse to learn and use the proposed language as a living one and not only in last extremities and with the key at hand. That's Esperanto in a nutshell, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone. And um, Zamenhof uh, gave it to the people. Much like uh, the Grateful Dead when they say once they play the music, they're done with it. Um, <laughs> Zamenhof's hope was, you know, here are the tools. Now you go and like, like start making it, start using it and start making it because it's still, people still make it. Yeah. as they as they speak it today yeah well it's designed so that it's very easy to make new words because you just take a root and throw some prefixes or suffixes or both on there and you got a new word 
Yeah, what I found interesting about the the language was, so I mean, we could talk a lot about the grammar, and let's not because I didn't do that much research, guys. There's, <laughs> I know it's not a difficult language to learn, but I did not do that kind of, of prep. But what I found interesting through the research is how simple, in some ways, that it is. I mean, learning a language is always hard. And at the same time, there are some really nice rules about it, like nouns end in O, adjectives end in A, adverbs end in E. Mm-hmm. I think I think the most admirable thing about Esperanto is that it, it doesn't break its own rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which several other languages, I know English, is very bad for. And that usually presents a barrier to learning. Yeah. Well, as a language that's intended to be spoken en masse to everyone by everyone uh, especially from someone who their background is in Europe which is a very uh, multinational well it's not a I was going to say country that doesn't make any sense (laughs) it's a place that has a lot of international people coming into contact with each other so you have to deal with this problem of needing a shared language to communicate things or everyone understanding multiple languages yeah yes Specifically, where uh, where Zemenhof was growing up in Bialystok, um, he would see a lot of different languages clash: the Russians, the Poles, uh, Germans. And it wasn't that you know every everybody in that town was was a person. Everybody in that town was part of one of those groups. So part of the reason why he wanted to come up with this language to unite everybody was to take down those barriers so that they would just be people and not identified by. I guess their their country of origin or or their language, their mother tongue. Not othered. Yeah. As he put it, a bridge of words. Yeah. I thought that there was a little bit more to it in that Zamenhof, you know, wanted to take down that barrier between the different people, not only because that humanizes them, that prevents the othering, but also because then you can focus on the larger issues. Because I, I think it was... He was talking about the different groups separated as workers, per se, and they all had the same sort of problems, mm-hmm. but they couldn't talk about it because they were separated by race, the Polish yeah. and the Russians and, it's, and the Jews and etc. And so once you have everybody speaking the same language, then you can all, I don't know, like commiserate, share, and like you can, <laughs> can find, you can quickly find all the things that you have in common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And kind of like, bond over that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like being uh, sad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, being sad is an innately human thing. That's true. <laughs> so one of the interesting things about the language, and I'm sure well, we'll continue on and talk more about the the fans, and actually probably why we're even talking about Esperanto on an episode about <laughs> fandom. Uh, what I found really interesting about it was how much of a historical component there was, and we talked a little bit about that, but also a political element to it. Did either of you come across that? Because there were there were kind of multiple different political angles to the language, one of which that I found interesting in this quote from Wikipedia. Um, there was the League of Nations prior to NATO, correct? Yeah. Yes. Or prior to the United Nations. Sorry, yeah. United Nations. And uh, one of the members of the League of Nations, uh, a French member, uh, didn't want the French language losing its position as the international language. Me, as not a history fan, immediately has learned that French was somehow going to be the international language. It's where we get the term lingua franca, which is now sort of uh, anachronistic already. (laughs) I guess that's true. Um, This person saw Esperanto as a threat 
and the way that it worked was uh, this was to make a decision about educating people in a particular language. And mm. it was unanimous amongst the members of the League of Nations, except for the French person. <laughs> and the way that it worked is anyone could veto it. So oh. he, he vetoed it to block the decision. Uh, however, two years later, the League recommended that its member states include Esperanto in their educational curricula. And for this reason, that's why many people see the 1920s as the heyday of the Esperanto movement. There were ton of tons of other interesting facts about um, the persecution of, of early uh, speakers of Esperanto and its role in other things. But I found that in particular kind of interesting. Yeah, because it, it feels like uh, it doesn't have that long a history. Mm-hmm. But like a hundred years. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, it's like like it had a peak in like the 1920s or so. So it's like the first uh, Esperanto group or club or organization was in 1885 before Zamenhof even published the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Presumably friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little book critique group. Yeah. The part of Esperanto's history that grabbed my attention was in fact the point in time when it started to become more and more persecuted around the 1930s and 1940s because of the various uh, totalitarian fascist governments in in Europe becoming increasingly worried about Esperanto and its its potential for for conspiracies and spies. And <laughs> in particular, uh, in particular, I think Hitler himself was worried that it would be the uh, the the Jews' way of communicating amongst themselves once they took over the world or something like that. Mm. Yeah, so I I have the exact quote because I was like, this is interesting. And then you brought it up, which I... (laughs) In his work, Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler specifically mentioned Esperanto as an example of a language that could be used by an international Jewish conspiracy once they achieved world domination. I was just like, there's no way Z's not picking up on this. (laughs) (laughs) Which is no like way. the flip the flip side of the it brings everyone together. Yeah. <laughs> the shared language. <laughs> yeah, there are there are a few contradictions like that. Uh maybe not within the language itself, but within the I guess the culture that grew up around it. I feel like like that a lot of the historical persecution of the language, although that the persecution of people who spoke the language did impact the culture of people who spoke Esperanto. But I think that was Mm -hmm. largely a factor of the the time being a very different time. I think now it would Mm -hmm. just be, Oh, you speak Esperanto. That's interesting. I've never heard of that. Or I have heard of that. Or what country are you from? Who speaks Esperanto? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the other articles, um, because I started out with Wikipedia as well. A lot of the other things that I was looking at mentioned how, no Esperanto, it's very idealistic, but it's ultimately doomed to fail because in its in its sort of I guess mission to become this global second language because it doesn't have a it doesn't have a culture. You know, you look at you look at a French textbook and you see somebody standing um, in front of the Eiffel Tower having like a baguette, or you smoking, look at an English textbook smoking a cigarette, yeah. Or you look at an English textbook and you see them standing in front of uh, the Tower of London, um, eating fish, eating a really good curry. And, you know, yeah, you, that makes so like, much sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn these languages and that's gonna be me. Yeah. But what's on the cover of the Esperanto textbook? Anyone. 
But that makes it very generic. You are already anyone. Well. Oh. If uh, you know, if you're if you're looking if you're looking for yourself, if you're an Esperantist or aspiring traveler, mm-hmm. one thing you may want to check out, which I thought was the kind of the coolest part of of Esperanto communities, as it currently exists, is the Passporta Servo. Did you guys come across this? Yeah, definitely saw it. Or the passport service, which mm-hmm. is a list comes out, I believe, annually of of people in ninety one countries as of two thousand ten. Wow! Who will host Esperantists in their home for free, and it it, it lists like oh like for this many people can only take this many people. Yeah. Uh, food food provided, no smoking, whatever. Yep. But it's like, you know, it's like an like an Airbnb for free <laughs> and people who speak Esperanto. No Wikipedia article on it mentions that like there are people who learn Esperanto for this reason. Yeah. What? I would include <laughs> myself. Like honestly, that's that's one of the major reasons why I'm kind of curious to learn a little bit more about this language. Well, that's Boo. the major motivation right there. Boo, but I mean then you're like <laughs> staying at somebody it's not like staying going to a foreign country and staying at a hotel. I mean, even in, to me, staying in an, in an Airbnb even is kind of like between staying in a hotel and staying in somebody's house sort of with the express, maybe not purpose, but the express desire on the part of your host to engage with you. Because I haven't been in very many Airbnbs, but the ones I've been in are usually just sort of, you know, you don't really see anybody necessarily. Okay, so I've that's definitely not the experience that I've had. But what I was going to say is reading a little bit about Esperanto during the research for this week, the question I was going to ask is, you know, how does this tie into fans? Like, Esperantists are people that speak Esperanto. That's not a, a fandom. Sure, they have an interest mm-hmm. in something, but no more than many other things. But as you were saying, I want to learn Esperanto. As I put words in your mouth, rather. <laughs> as I put words in your mouth. And say, oh, I want to learn Esperanto so I can get a uh, free board as I travel to different countries. You know, the first that thing that came like to my me. mind is, uh, oh man, you're one of those fake Esperantists, you know? Only uh, learning it to get some special attention. And that's that's obviously drawing a really goofy <laughs> parallel. But there were a lot of, a lot of parallels to uh, fandom that I saw. I feel mm-hmm. like... There are not that many people taking advantage of the, quote, Esperanto free board scam. I don't think many people are willing <laughs> to learn a language in order to get free board. I mean, that's fair. I mean, you still get, you still have to have some kind of interest. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. You wouldn't spend all that time otherwise. But I, I did see a lot of parallels, and admittedly, they may be superficial. Um, things like sexism being inherent to not the culture but in this case the language and that's not a deliberate action i mean it's a it's a deliberate action but it's an oversight like many other languages like it's because of the simplification right because it's like there's a feminine suffix yeah like to make something feminine you add that suffix yeah right i would say i would say it's an oversight but i think it's like an oversight that that comes from the time in which it was made yeah, because, like it's 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 yeah. uh it's masculine masculine normative is that what it is? Um, that sounds about yes. right. 
Yeah. If not stated, it assumes maleness. Yeah. 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 And that that ex- issue exists in fandom too, assuming that you know many of the fans are men. They're only men. Mm-hmm. There are no other fans of this. So I I did see some other superficial connections. The idea of being persecuted because of your interest in something. Um, mm. People within, though, the, though, though, in this case, uh, yeah, no, no, very a lot more real than in some other instances. Yeah, very different. But uh, on a on a lighter note, as a result of that persecution, people within that fandom, kind of banding together and working towards more free expression and acceptance. That was mm-hmm. one of the key pieces about the culture that I I saw in my research. That a lot of Esperantists are, you know, very. Oh, that was one of the things. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered one of the bits of the research. Like the idea that difference and acceptance is so important to the culture that one of their insults, one of their bits of slang is about being same-minded. Uh what what is it? Semidiano, same idea member or agree member. Like people that huh. just kind of like go along. Like, oh yeah, mm. yeah that's fine. Or uh cro- crocodili like to yeah. crocodile, like when you're within a group of Esperantists and you start speaking some other language, it's like, no, no, we're all speaking the same language. Like there's this idea of inclusion and acceptance that's built into that culture. And I think that's really cool and where you get the parallels to to other fandoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I came across that that no crocodiling. Yeah. That's yeah. like like if we're if we both speak it, we're speaking it. It's not that's not dilly dally. <laughs> or or like waste time we could be we could be using to speak Esperanto to each other. Yeah, and, and both of your guys is mentioning it that um the culture of Esperanto is very much about inclusion. Just kind of brings to mind my thoughts about all the articles that I was reading saying there's no culture, there's no culture, there's no culture. It's like there is a there is no culture in the sense that there aren't like original Esperanto legends or myths or whatever. But there's still a culture because there's this whole notion, um, this whole valuing of diversity that can be bridged by words. Well, uh, oh, I was going to say, well, uh, well, (laughs) Gee, do you want to go? I can go. I have a thing. You have a thing, too. I'll just just go ahead. Go. Um, Because I I feel like based on what I've, I've seen from people talking about why they enjoy it. Uh, learning Esperanto is like you can you now have like access to talk to people who you wouldn't normally be able to talk to yeah so so like once you you know learn Esperanto and kind of get into the communities and see who's posting I mean one of the one of the big things of it is speaking it obviously so so like people would you know arrange to chat mm-hmm. and, I, I th- and I assume one of the things you'd want to do is try and chat from people who are like in in that you perceive to have very a very different culture to your own, or, or someone that you normally would not really be able to converse with, because 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 one or both of you would would you know not be able to speak to each other expressively. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about like a level playing field, like yeah. every, everyone's no one has the advantage. Everyone in in terms of they were talking about world leaders talking to each other as well. Yeah, no one has the advantage. Everybody's on board with the same language and can express the same things. So, uh, yeah. I, I was going to say that, I mean, what do you mean there's no culture? I mean, we're talking about a language that, like, followers, not followers of a language, speakers of a language who've gotten to the point where in other parts of the world, uh, 
the creator of the language have been revered as one of the gods. Ah, yeah. Anybody, anybody read that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah. Uh, Uomoto. Yeah. I was really surprised how much of uh, of Esperanto made it into the East, like making it to China and Japan. Mm. Uh, but but yes, there was a, a group where Esperanto became kind of important, the Uomoto uh, in Japan, S- um, a religion that spun off of more traditional Japanese Shinto and had a number of other influences, but one of which was revering Zemanoff as a god like not a not a north american god like a, <laughs> a kami like a japanese god like just one of the everyday Im- yeah important spirits well the, kind of yeah. the, the striving like, for essentially the vision was like world peace as yeah. corny as it is to sound yeah. but uh yeah i would say that that had an impact on the uomoto culture or japanese culture but not every esperantist is a member of the uomoto of faith Ah, but what about the Gufuyo? Are all Esperantists Gufuya? No, that that the Gufuyo is is a is a kind of cafe that Esperantists hold, either in a rented space or at their homes, and it's like the anti-party. Because normally mm-hmm. people, you know, they party and whatnot and drink and like get crazy. But the whole idea of a Gufuyo is you kind of have a cafe, maybe with tea or coffee just like quiet, read a book, or maybe, um, you know, have quiet conversations with people. That is a thing that is uniquely Esperantan. Like people will (laughs) even have, it may not even be real money to buy the goods. It it could be this idea of uh, using a gufo, which is like Esperanto money, which has an owl printed on one side. (laughs) Whoa. I like. I read about that, and I'm like, okay, so maybe there's more to this than just people speaking a language. Maybe there are actually some really interesting cultural components to this, mm-hmm. which really, like, as I continued reading, I got half sidetracked by the interest of the language and half by the cultural thing. But what it, I I kept seeing more and more parallels to fandom, and if fandoms are cultures, then there's no reason why Esperanto can't be culture. Uh, Esperanto has many different uh, forks of fans, you, I guess you could say. People who decided that the language needed changing reforms. Mm-hmm. People who decided that... I mean, some of those reforms are just because I think this is a really cool idea. Maybe we should ship this with this. Um, people who thought that the language should just be changed because it's not very gender inclusive. People who... there was There's a term for people who believe that... Oh, what was it? People who believe that Esperanto really will one day be spoken by everyone or become a world language. La Finavenco, the final victory. Yeah. Mm. Which is Esperanto being the second language for the world. Yeah. (laughs) And those people are actually broken up into two groups. People who think that it should happen or will happen from the bottom up and other people who think it'll come from the top down. Zemanoff, of course, belonging to the first group, thinking that the only way for this to really happen is for everybody to get on board. Because the governments represent the people. Yes. But like that seems very cultural. Like maybe it's a subculture if anything, but it 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 doesn't seem to me like you know, this is not a thing, this is just a language. People who go to the the convention of Esperantists, which has an actual name that I don't remember. <laughs> um 
those people will dress in their country's native garments even um even some countries like and i'm going to screw this up because i didn't write this down but one of the the norwegian kind of countries like either sweden or norway they like they will wear more traditional clothes from their country even though their country kind of like banned that after seeing where nazism went in germany hmm it strangely puts emphasis on on as you were saying before uh the differences like we got this one thing in common now we can talk about all the things that we don't share that we're learning mm-hmm. about each other so like so like emphasizing like oh we're, we're all like different interesting unique people and have this way to to tell each other about it is is like a, a big appeal yeah yeah but where are the great esperanto novels or the great esperanto movies it's called okay so like one i don't know off the top of my head but there are definitely examples there are, of there are both of those things yeah the, the difference is scale size yes like uh what's your favorite finnish movie <laughs> you know what i'm saying well, Oh sure. Oh sure. Or your favorite Afrikaans uh, <laughs> rap group? Is it? Is yeah. it? What is it? D? Is it D Antwerp? Because if it's not, I don't know. What it you're probably is. I would assume. Yeah, I, that's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> but like, oh, I'm sorry that you haven't heard of the fantastic uh, oral traditions of this this tribe. Like, as much as Esperanto may be spoken by as many as two million people, that doesn't mean that. Well, one, that's an overestimate. And two, that doesn't mean that I haven't heard of it, therefore it's not a thing. It's not a matter of not having heard of it. It's like, I'm pulling this from a lot of, like, most of the articles that were like, oh, there's no culture. We're basically uh, defining culture as, like, artifacts rather than practices or rituals, like the Kofenko seems to uh, seems to be. And, I mean, apparently Tolkien was, at some point, a speaker and in a letter to some friend of his, he wrote a lot of letters. He he said he threw down a list of uh, invented languages, and Esperanto was among them, and said all of these are dead languages because the, their creators never bothered to write down any legends. Oh, so we should just listen and to some old legends. white guy then. Got it. Oh, the only thing that guy. the only things that matter are old what old white people say. I got it. That's not it at all, T. I feel like you just... I mean, I take your point, but I feel like you smacked the entire thing that C said down. No, I, or, yeah, I, that's I, not I'm it at all, It's about time. making up culture. It's about making up stories that you can tell each other to share your values. That's okay, what it's about. I know, I mean, I'm, being de- I'm being deliberately inflammatory. There, yeah, But there, there do exist those works. They're just not as known because there's less speakers of Esperanto, and they're very widely distributed. They're not a member of a single country. They're spread out across the globe it's like where are the great works of the um oh hold on i got the, where are the great works of the rick and morty fandom where are they z rick and morty itself yeah. because fanfiction.net fanfiction.net but, <laughs> but i might just as easily diminish the works of those people because it's like well that doesn't count because that's not big enough there are written works did you come across any examples? Uh, there's, if I go to Wikipedia, as a, as a proselytizer for the culture of Esperanto, where is all your uh, 
Where are all your texts? Uh, I could speak of the author's Leo Tolstoy and well, no, some, author? of the, some authors of works in Esperanto. Apparently, Leo Tolstoy wrote works in Esperanto. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm just like, all I'm doing what, is going what, to Wikipedia. I, what, are, what are we getting at here? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> not much. I thought we kind of shut the lid on Esperanto. Is, is it a culture or not? Like, I think we figured out that it is. We're getting into very anti-Esperanto uh, uh, territory here is what we're, what we're getting into. <laughs> I don't know. Z was the like, of. where are the written things? And then it's like, they exist, you just haven't seen <laughs> they're, them. They're here. They're right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, out of curiosity, did you guys come across any, like, uh, uh, neat, neat words or terms in Esperanto? Mm. Other than the one that I mentioned, no. not, not so much. There's an article of an English journalist going to the British Esperanto conference, that was it. And, and the favorite, favorite one that that person learned, uh, that I, that I really enjoyed, which is crom serbo, which means spare brain, <laughs> <laughs> which refers to the smartphone. I didn't find any interesting words. But I've got some interesting trivia that ties us back to a previous episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. So, (laughs) Harry Potter. Okay. Any of you come across Harry Potter? Anything about Harry Potter? Because I did. Someone. Not not this time. Okay. Someone, understandably, uh, created a translation of Harry Potter into Esperanto. No big deal, right? Sure. Like, people Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, many people learning Esperanto will take a an existing work and translate it. Cool. Z, you probably know exactly what that's like with Beowulf, with the difference being that Beowulf is written in much older language, which has no one speaking it. But same idea. You want to learn something, you, you practice it. Yeah. So what had happened was somebody has an unofficial translation of it, and they contacted J.K. Rowling to get it published. And J.K. Rowling would not publish it. Okay. Why not? It's another language. Yeah. Did she say why not? So I don't know what the actual answer is. I tried to dig into it. I found it linked from the Wikipedia article on Esperanto culture. Um, When I came across the Esperanto subreddit, what one of the members there, uh, Topher Talks, suggests that probably has nothing to do with J.K. Rowling and more to do with the way that publishing works. Just that, you know, there have already been multiple releases of uh, the various Harry Potter books, and they don't necessarily want to do another republishing. And Harry Potter is also already published in many, many, many languages. Adding an Esperanto publish doesn't really do too much for things. Well, here's the thing. Esperanto. While there are some native Esperanto speakers... Uh, often yeah. the children of enthusiasts. <laughs> I'd say it is unlikely that there are very many people who only speak Esperanto. Mm-hmm. And as such, how many people are buying? I mean, it could be a way to get kids into it. Yeah. Which I'll talk about more when we get to our spotlight. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you can check out the unofficial translation of Harry Potter and Esperanto if you want. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That just makes me think of uh, publishing contracts and international rights and everything. 
I guess if Esperanto publishing became more of a mass thing, you'd have to just come up with Esperanto rights. So the example in that case was they asked for translation rights, which I'm assuming not being a publisher also is a thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it wouldn't necessarily be about releasing it in an international market. It would just be about translating it. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of on a similar cultural note. <laughs> mm-hmm. I came across the, uh, the fact that, uh, well, we're all familiar with Final Fantasy. Oh, familiar I, might know where the, I might know where this is going. Nobuo Uematsu. But apparently the Final Fantasy XI intro, uh, Memoro de Listono, was written in Esperanto from, hmm. I guess, from day one. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's a good one to use because it sounds very exotic, you know, and, and romantic, literally romantic. Yeah. You know, but it's, everyone's like not quite sure what they're saying, so it's very, it draws you in. Mm-hmm. Also, a few like sci-fi novels and things have been like in like, in like the utopia kind of future. Everyone speaks Esperanto. Yeah. Yeah. I, I came across a few mentions of those novels. Yeah. Yeah. Also that there is an Esperanto message included in the Voyager 1 golden record. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah, because they wanted to have a record of all the human languages, and Esperanto is a human language. Must be a long record. <laughs> <laughs> it's an EP. Oh. That's it? It's yep, one yep, word. That's it. <laughs> one word per language. Did either of you come across Esperantitos? No. Okay, so when I did my research, I found out that there are many derivative forms of Esperanto. Those are called Esperantitos. They are constructed languages that have made modifications to Esperanto. Um, Ah. Sometimes called, uh, I think one of the successors is just called Ido, or sometimes the follow-ups are called Esperantitos. I found one, which is really cool and has some appeal. And when I heard about it, I was like, oh, this is... This is kind of cool, but obviously must have been made pretty recently. No, no, no. There is an Esperantito called Universal. So it's another constructed language. Uh, and it was made in 1923, and I was wrong. But what it does is it uses this idea of inversion for antonyms, among other things. So Mega is big, Gemma is little, Donu is mm. give, Nodu is receive. it it makes a bunch of other changes grammatically and i'm not a linguist i i know a little bit about grammars from computer science but i'm not an expert on grammars but it's really interesting because you have like a sentence like uh and i'm gonna butcher this but i'll try al gefino ofargu kai le egnu egnifu o grafu which is he finished reading and she started to write but like all you've done in that case is you've taken the root and or the the root prefix and like reversed it. And there yeah. are several of these different uh, Esperantitos, some of which are for recreational purposes. Others were to reform the language to fix different a- aspects of it. Some of them were made to make the language more complex. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I guess some people want you know have learned it and want a challenge. <laughs> well, I'm I'm sure like the the reason to add complexity is not about challenge, but more about 
being able to express different concepts because again not being a linguist the language that we use to describe things affects how we perceive those things Mm -hmm. so a language that is inherently um, masculine focused like esperanto is going to shape things that way a language like esperanto that is eurocentric is going to change the way you perceive things probably in a eurocentric kind of way not things that we actively think about but come up in all sorts of conversations about english about ableism and etc etc we're not talking about english but like that's really cool that like the language affects all Mm -hmm. that stuff and esperanto all the different variations of it continue that one one variation of it for amusement called esperant apostrophe makes well makes it more poetic oh okay cool with all these variations it's kind of a wonder that um the smallest esperanto club at least in canada maybe maybe in the world now can be found in (laughs) can be found in vagina the saskatchewan yeah do, can either of you guess how many members this smallest of Esperanto groups has? <laughs> Having read the article, don't guess. No, because I know the answer. Oh, okay. Ooh. Oh, you can't guess because you know. Um, exactly. Okay. Well, sorry. What was the? I want to know the specific phrasing of the question so that I, I can make a better guess. How many members are in the okay. smallest group? Okay, so just of Esperanto, just members. The smallest Esperanto group doesn't tell me yep, about just members. Uh, a thousand. Nope. Too big? Way off. Too big? Too small? Way too big. Twi- there 20. are two. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's garbage. <laughs> any, any, any fewer than that? And it couldn't be a club, I don't think. No. No. You'd just be somebody sitting in the mall reading Esperanto. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> We are seeking new members, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that article, um, I believe, was from a a few years ago, so I'm sure by now they're a thriving club after getting all the CBC press. Got pen pals from all over. Yeah. Iran, Brazil, Middle East. Yeah. Europe, yeah. That was another thing that I found really interesting. I mean, I remember in elementary school having a pen pal and that sort of thing, and, you know, Snail mail is not much of a big deal anymore, so pen pals aren't really a thing anymore. But uh, using Esperanto to have a pen pal would be would be another reason I'd want to learn the language because then you could just have a pen pal with somebody who doesn't even need to know English. They just know Esperanto, and that's that's all you need. Yeah. Did either of you yeah. just try to randomly read Esperanto? In in the articles I read, there was a bunch of it. Yeah. Um, especially the reporter who covered the British Esperanto. Um, invention mm-hmm. included a lot of Esperantan phrases untranslated. So I had a good go, and some of that I recognized from knowing like French or whatever. Yeah, uh, French and, and Latin roots and stuff like that. And sometimes I'm lost. Yeah, but that that's what's interesting, right? Like when we were talking yeah. earlier, it's like, oh, it sounds Slavic. It's like, what kind of? And it. It sounds like Italian or Polish or whatever. It's like, oh, well, kind of. And some of the root words you can kind of see where they came from, like vive, like live, in- yeah. instituto, 
Institute. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these are, are pretty easy to uh, get on board with. Semaine is like this week, which is semaine is in French yeah. for a week. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, okay, I can kind of see these things. Hmm. YouTube me. Messing oh. around on YouTube. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's beautifully uh, um, concise. Stuff like that. So um, I also found that one of the bit. This is not the most exciting bit of trivia, but I thought it was really helpful. Possibly as uh, something to plug. There is a stack exchange for Esperantons, in addition to many other resources, but there's a stack exchange for it. And many of the questions on it that I observed were, you know, how do you say this in Esperanto? Not just a general question, but like one of the questions was, you know, upstream and downstream are very interesting words in English because they can be adjectives or nouns or verbs. And sometimes they mean something in a technical context and sometimes they mean something in a a non-technical context and you know how do you translate those things and so you get a lot of questions like that because those are probably mm -hmm. words that didn't exist or weren't used in the same way when esperanto was developed and its 900 or so root words were used all right well i have an interesting object lesson here that uh connects back to our first episode jeez <laughs> and also sachets into um our fan of the week Ooh. So I found a fellow named Andy who has a blog called Adventures in Esperanto. Hmm. Adventures in Esperanto.wordpress.com. And, and he talks about like different little niggles with the language and weird stuff that he encounters that you only, you only figure out in, you know, in practice. And so he's talking about split infinitives. Uh, specifically with regard uh, with to boldly go where no one has gone before. The verb to go in Esperanto is iri, I-R-I. You cannot split that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, okay, you could, you could say to go boldly where no one has gone before. Or you could say boldly to go where no one has gone before. Because, ah, there's another tool on the Esperanto's belt. Vortsferado, or word building. So what he does is smashes boldly and go together, and it becomes boldy go where no one before has gone. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, okay, now what's going on? Can I just go and do that? This is actually just more than boldly going. This is a special kind of going, a kind of going that is by its very nature, daring and bold. Exploring the dangerous bits, inviting you trouble, poking your nose into the fresh universe snow. The going is defined by the daring. Um, if you join the words together, like instead of saying boldly go, you have the one word, boldly go. You're saying that its very nature is highly influenced by the attached property. Uh, it's set apart and it's one of its defining features. So I thought, I thought that was a good, good example to demonstrate something interesting about uh, Esperanto. Yeah. So wait, Esperanto doesn't have a way to split the infinitive. No. So he made up a word. And now that <laughs> that word is intrinsically the properties that it describes. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Boldy go. Boldy go. 
Wherever you go tomorrow, pull to go. Pull to go. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, it's actually kind of funny that you use that example um, with all of its daring do and dashingness and boldness and everything. Um, because, you know, underlying a lot of what the draw of Esperanto seems to be to, to so many of the speakers um, is this desire to connect with people across languages and across cultures. And to me, that's, you know, that's got to be something that takes some sort of guts, some sort of daring in itself. But with Esperanto, this bridge of words, uh, as a language where they're where you know you can just follow your instinct basically once you know it and make stuff up and you're right because you're still expressing yourself in a way other esperantists can understand it makes it a very intuitive almost instinctual language Mm -hmm. and so you know you can trust that instinct even when you're speaking with somebody from a totally different part of the world with a totally different background for example, if you wanted to uh, speak with somebody from Japan and you only knew the, the roughest Japanese, you'd probably be nervous, your knees would be shaking together and all that stuff because you'd be worried about expressing yourself properly. You'd probably say, cool. like, I wear bathroom is yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and you'd yeah. probably leave off all the honorifics and people would stare at you funny and whatever. <laughs> it could be really embarrassing. But with Esperanto, you don't need to worry about that. And the fan of the week that I want to point out on this episode has written a lot about Esperanto and its its instinctive nature, its uh, ability, its ability to bridge these, these languages and these cultures. Um, it is a fellow by the, na- the name of Claude Piron. My apologies, uh, Mr. Piron, if I'm <laughs> mispronouncing your name in any way. And of the creation of Esperanto and sort of not just the creation by, uh, by Zamenhof, but, the creation over the century that it's existed, he had to say this. Esperanto is a language born of one century of international interactions in a small community of people spread all over the world and encompassing most cultures, most religions, most professions, and social layers linked by nothing else than the use of that language for international communication. So it's like Esperanto is rising up above all of the other things that languages are tied with. You know, if you think about English, there's kind of a lot of imperialist history there, so you might not want to bring that baggage with you. But if you think about Esperanto, it's this language built for communication across what used to be cultural linguistic lines. That's literally what it's for. Yeah. Yeah. People took it and they ran with it. They just couldn't couldn't get enough of that sweet, sweet communicating stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Last thing I want to talk about to leave into the spotlight is uh, about um, Esperanto as kind of a um, a cipher, like a key Mm. to learning other languages, particularly the Romance languages. Yeah. But what I want to talk about is uh, a springboard to languages, which is a couple of elementary school programs that are set up to to teach kids Esperanto in order for them to learn other languages better. Cool. 
Um, I watched a TED Talk Ooh. by uh, Tim Tim Morley, who's uh, you know involved with, with Springboard to Languages, and and talked about like some of the effects. Like when trying to learn other languages, kids would take what they're reading and then turn it into Esperanto in order to pick it apart. And I understood it. They did a French test of two different schools. One that just taught and where the class was in French for two years, one where they were in Esperanto for two years, and the kids who did Esperanto uniformly did better. Hey. Because because they're able to take take the pieces of what they're doing, pick them apart. Because like Esperanto is very good at showing you the bare bones of a of a sentence or or statement. And then figure out the meaning behind it. Well like we like we had all mentioned, like the advantage of having a a language that's constructed is you can make a grammar that's regular. You can say that French only has these 13 irregular verbs. Yes. You can say that, but there's more to it than than just remembering <laughs> the conjugations of those verbs. You then need to remember another set, another myriad of different rules. English is its own horrible mess. <laughs> Weird beast. Yeah. Like spelling uh-huh. and verb conjugation and the uh, subjunctive clause or whatever when you're doing <laughs> like if i were not if i was yeah uh, yep what um tim really talked about was that if you learn a word in french you hey you know that word in french you learn how to conjugate it but it's like its own little island whereas if you learn something in in um Esperanto, it kind of fits in with the stuff they already know, and you now have like I've just like expanded everything using all your 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 prefixes and suffixes and everything, and you got you get a lot more from learning little bits than you do in other languages. Oh yeah, like I yeah. I now know that anything that ends in oj, which is pronounced oi, is mm. the plural form of a noun. Mm-hmm. Yep, es- Esperanto is people like. People who speak Esperanto, which is cool. Mm-hmm. That is so neat. That is way more useful. Yeah. That's like, oh, words that end in S are plurals in English. It's like, cool, except for these words. These are actually like words <laughs> or verbs or whatever. It's like, oh, Upper okay, cool, thanks. So for more more info on how Esperanto is kind of could be like a key language to open up to learning other languages, it is springboard, the number two, languages.org. And that will be in the show notes as well. Such a chronometer's one weekend send point your airships to the vast north of Canada. For anthropological. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And you can find us online at anthropological.com. If the website's not your bag, you can also check us out on various social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at The Next Cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'd like to email us, perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at thenextcast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. And we're now on iTunes. Please rate and review us there as well. And, uh... Until next time, remember, everyone's a fan.
Well, we we just learned a lot about Esperanto today, but uh, now I'm going to want to strap on my, my clockwork goggles and hop on my Zeppelin to uh, get ready for next week's episode. Hold on, I got one for this. <laughs> that was a great episode, everyone. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must abscond to my velocipede for next week's episode. <laughs> I peaked, damn it. <laughs> All my tubes and wires. <laughs> Careful notes. Not to be confused. <laughs> Next pour week. some water on the rocks, sit back, and relax. No. <laughs> Next week, look out for those giant robotic spiders and totally anachronistic things. <laughs> look out for anachronistic things. Yep. <laughs> Next. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Next week, tune in to... Nope. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. You... Next week... <clears throat> Next week, adjust the dial on your radio phone to uh, tune in to the... No, I need to work, work this, workshop this one a little more. <laughs> that, it was off to a good start. Yes. Do you know what really grinds my gears? Next week's Ooh. episode. Ooh. <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. It's boiled leather for a civilized age. Next week on Phanthropological. <laughs> Uh, ooh. Next week on Phanthropological, we turn back the clock and and enter <laughs> our velocipedes to travel to distant eras and lands and the skies with umbrellas and things that are not what they were, but they are. But it'll probably be 19th century London. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hold on. Yes. I think I... Next week, join us for a for a rollicking romp through the skies of London in the nineteenth century, and zeppelins of the rich and famous. <laughs> this wax cylinder into your gramophone and hark, a phanthropological. Um, hold on. Uh, okay. All right. I think I got this. What weighs less than coal? is plentiful and requires a lot less Irishmen than you would guess and is quite fashionable. Tune in next episode to find out. Uh, no. Is it phanthropological? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Steampunk? I don't know, man. For all, for all your latest Irish security system needs, <laughs> tune in next week. <laughs> phanthropological. <laughs> I don't think we're going to top that. I, I, well, like, uh, I don't know if that's really getting at the, what the next episode's about. <laughs> no. That's fine. <laughs> one of those. You can use, work. you can use, you got a, enough words among okay, all hold, of those to. <laughs> I think I've got one more that might not be so ridiculous. Okay. Okay. Looking for a new twist on an old style and fashion? Tune in next episode to find out. I don't know. That's all I got. That's more grounded than the other ones. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
That's not a bad thing, though. <laughs> Set your chronometers one week hence. Oh. And be breathless with anticipation. Or something. What? No, that was good. You didn't. <laughs> I uh, like that one. It wasn't as absurd as all the other ones. <laughs> Between all of them, we can... Oh, yeah. something something auto gyro something something <laughs> <laughs> uh. Man. set your chronometer back a century as we ride this auto gyro into the stratosphere yeah. one of those we find i'm sure this is like my favorite part of the episode now <laughs>